Our Heavenly Father, we come to you boldly, but yet uh, slowly, as it were, carefully, carefully, um, knowing that you are sovereign over all things, that you've worked out our our redemption as part of your grand plan, uh, according to the riches of your grace, and then in due time called us out into the fellowship of the Lord, a true fellowship, one that uh, isn't religious, but is based on your truth that has been revealed in your word. Father, thank you that it is that uh, correct and proper knowledge that transforms. And so, Father, I'm so thankful that you hold us in the hollow of your hand, that you're with us always. You'll never leave us. We know you. We belong to you. And uh, you are managing our affairs. may not seem like that always to us. The world is uh, encroaching inevitably, and it's always uh, close by, and its darkness is real. And yet, Father, we know that uh, the lights are there. Uh, certainly the light of our Lord Jesus shines brightly. And, and uh, ourselves, we shine brightly to the world, Father, at least to those that uh, you're working in, whose hearts are being opened. Father, I pray that we would have testimony before them and we would see fruit. Um, our sister Lisa's mentioned the need of fellowship. Indeed, Father, it is a great need of the human heart to have fellowship one with another, with other believers of like precious faith being the goal. Father, uh, that is a great goal, and uh, we're so thankful that you do guide and lead in that. But many times we feel very alone and as if there are none uh, or nearly none others. We share our heart and um, are blessed uh, there in a special fellowship. So, Father, I just pray that in our families you continue to enable and guide and lead, and, and may it be so clear that in our homes uh, you do dwell in such a wonderful way in each of us. Thank you now that we can look into your word, Father, and I pray that you'd open our hearts to it. In Christ's name, amen. Last time we introduced the letter to the Philippians, and uh, I hope that was a blessing for you. It was for me. I think the the <laughs> most amazing thing uh, when we just first come to the letter, and if we read it through quickly, we would see certain themes made very, very clear there. Uh, the, the letter has a structure, but uh, the structure, which we did speak of last time, uh, is a structure of examples. There are four examples set forth for the believers in Philippi, and uh, for us, for us as well, of course, four four examples. The greatest, the the first mentioned is the example of Christ. Of course, uh, he is our greatest example. Then there's the example of Timothy, who is beloved uh, to the Philippians. They knew him well, and they loved him very, very much. Timothy. The third example is that of Epaphroditus, who was a Philippian. Uh, Epaphroditus, who had gone to Rome uh, to minister to Rome, 
the Roman, uh, sorry, not to Rome, but <laughs> no doubt it was, but he went there to minister to Paul, who was uh, imprisoned in Rome. That's Epaphroditus. And then the last example is the example of Paul himself, the apostle. Imprisoned in Rome and yet rejoicing. And uh, having the mind of Christ through all of this is what Paul exhorts the believers to have, uh, the mind of Christ. So to have the mind or the, the kind of thinking Christ himself had uh, is set forth as our there. Um, there's much in the letter about personal Feelings, feelings for one another, for the for the brethren. Uh, it's a major, major theme in this letter. And the negative aspect of it is that there were two women singled out in the letter who did not have this concern one for the other. <laughs> and uh, that was uh, one of the reasons why the letter was written, is to highlight their own... Uh, <laughs> Well, let's just say total failure in a spiritual sense uh, to enjoy all the benefits that Christ had provided to them. Uh, so they're mentioned by name uh, other than these leading characters. No, none others are mentioned by name, but those two women, right? What a sad commentary there. Uh, the The letter has in it some language which proves to be very, very significant to Paul, and it's found uh, in other of his letters too, the, this particular kind of language, the way he uses certain words, uh, is very critical to understanding Paul and his message, so we want to focus on some of that today. First, let's uh, just uh, jump into the verses themselves, I think we should read them all right at the beginning this time. So, uh, first of all, Patty, if you can read uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, please. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. And now, Linda, if you'd read chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every pair of mine for you, all making requests for joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Thank you. And uh, Tom, reading verses 6 through 8, please. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, insomuch as, as both in my bonds and in defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye are partakers of my grace, for God is my record. How greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Tom. Oh. 
That'll that'll be where we mostly focus today on that last of those verses. Okay, Lisa, please read verses 9 through 11. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Thank you, Lisa. And that's the way that this section is then concluded there with that one statement summary. It's one of the greatest statements anywhere of what the Christian life is all about. Uh, filled to overflowing with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of Almighty God. In other words, God's work in us, which in the verse Tom read there, uh, verse 6, will be performed and completed finally by him. That's God's work, right? And then how that bears fruit in our lives in verse 11, uh, unto the glory and praise of Almighty God. Oh, my, what a what a section, huh? Um well, the authors, we talked about the authors, I say plural, but really there's only one author, that's Paul, of this letter. But, but when he introduces himself as the author, he mentions Timothy, too, because uh, he was such a, a critically important person for the church in Philippi. And uh, so Paul and Timothy are together in Rome. I don't believe Timothy was imprisoned there. If so, the scripture never indicates that. But Paul certainly was. And uh, I think that uh, Timothy probably wouldn't have been imprisoned anyway, since his father was a Greek. <laughs> Can't imagine. Uh, he might have even been a Roman citizen, <clears throat> right? Um, Paul was a Roman citizen, which is the only reason he was imprisoned. Otherwise, he would have been uh, martyred in uh, in Jerusalem, probably, right, or somewhere else. But he'd been protected by the Romans and taken to Rome uh, for uh, special treatment, since Roman citizens could uh, appeal to Caesar if they were not getting justice in any other way in the system at hand, right? Okay, so it says Paul and Timothy, the servants, the bond slaves of Jesus Christ. Well, by that, Paul didn't mean that he was uh, not enslaved by chains or by bars or in some other way uh, limited there in Rome. I think he was under house arrest at this point. But uh, he mentions bond slaves of Jesus Christ because that was more important than his imprisonment <laughs> by Roman authorities, right? Um, the the fact is that Paul was looking at his own circumstances through the eyes of the Lord and, and not in a purely human way. Otherwise, he, he would have been uh, totally distressed uh, at his human condition. So... 
It is here. Uh, Paul and Timothy are bond slaves of Christ. That's going to going to make the difference in the end that they see themselves that way. So the the bondage is not of chains, steel, or in some other fashion that that counts. The bondage was uh, their relationship to the Lord. Uh, I think that's important to remember. Uh, we feel our liberty is challenged everywhere, and we wonder whether, as believers, we ourselves might be enslaved in various ways by the system of the world, right, or of our government. But uh, he says, consider yourself to be, first of all, primarily a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Um the letters written to the saints, the saints <laughs> in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, right? And it mentions the bishops and the deacons. Um, well, they're saints too, right? They're all saints. Um, saints are, as a word, uh, to be properly understood as those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, just like he says here. <laughs> Sanctified in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Uh, maybe the bishops and deacons are added because this letter was not an early letter. It was written later, and there already was a structure being developed in the churches, right, in the assemblies. And so they had those that were designated with these terms here. Uh, deacons being... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, servants um, who have many, many uh, uh, hard tasks uh, set before them, uh, mostly caring, uh, caring for those that have needs, right? But, but the bishops, they were the overseers, and, and they might have had more of a spiritual uh, responsibility in the assemblies, but, but they were not to think more highly of themselves than they should, and uh, here he includes them with everyone else, right? perhaps to remove uh, those artificial boundaries that may have been set up between them uh, and elevated some over others. If, that some might be elevated over others is a constant human challenge. It's a reality in every human organization and uh, certainly in the churches. And yet the whole theme of Philippians uh, is exactly contrary to that it's not being elevated over others but submissive uh, before others uh, is the theme here and that's why those four examples are given of christ timothy epaphroditus and then paul uh, as examples of uh, not being exalted over others but being uh engrafted into the lives of others and serving together with them without distinction, one in Christ Jesus, right? Okay, so uh, that's what we see at the beginning here. You see those words, though, which are very, very Pauline, uh, in Christ Jesus. Uh, there's only one other place where any other New Testament writer uses words like this. And there's textual issues there, so maybe it's true that nobody but Paul ever uses the words in Christ Jesus in that word order. Uh, Peter does in one place, but as I said, there's a 
a textual issue there. It probably should be in Jesus Christ. So I think in Christ Jesus is a, a Pauline expression, <clears throat> and he uses it all, conveys uh, really everything that he has written in his letters, the greatest of all of what he's written in his letters being what Christ has accomplished for the saints of God through his sacrifice, right? And what he's accomplished is uh, far beyond what we conceive of ordinarily as forgiveness of sins. It's far more than that. Uh, it, it's in fact that he's given us a heavenly position and a heavenly inheritance, right? That's all set before us. Uh, the heavenly position is made very clear in certain places where Paul uses these words, in Christ Jesus. Like, for example, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, uh, he's raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In the heavenlies is where we already have our position. Uh, much is involved in the blessings of that. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 30 of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. It's all wrapped up together in Christ Jesus. Uh, Romans 8:39. nothing can separate us, height, depth, depth or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So because we are in Christ Jesus, we are absolutely secure. Okay. Second um, Timothy 1, 9, who has saved us, meaning the Lord Jesus, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, 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 which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. That's what he says. See, the redemptive plan of God was worked out from before the world was even created. Okay? Uh, and then in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Thou therefore, my son, in other words, Timothy, you are my son in the faith, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So that speaks of our position in Christ. And through that, the blessings continue in every aspect of life, practically speaking, right? And there's this whole issue of, of the life that we're called to, it's, uh, and that it is new, newness of life. Paul writes of it in Romans uh, chapter 8, and I'll just read... <laughs> Two verses, and then we'll move ahead. Uh, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. However you feel today, the truth is, that you've been set free from the law of sin and death. Now, Paul goes on, and um, 
there's a salutation, and it's his standard salutation in verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Uh, we talked about that a little last time, and I'll leave that uh, there for and just move ahead. Um, but God's grace makes all the difference. And um, how often is even the word grace on our lips? It needs to be on our lips very often. Because if it is not, what's happening in our minds, right? <laughs> if it's on our minds, will it not be coming forth in our words as well? Paul goes on and writes now of the thanksgiving that he uh, offers up continually for the saints there. And we looked at that last time, too. Let's not look at it further now. But he did have every reason to be thankful. But in verses 6 through 8, he gets into one of the two aspects here that's most important uh, in the entire letter. And he says he's confident of something there in verse 6. What is he confident of? The work of God, according to this plan, which he has just referred to, right? The work of the Lord God, who is almighty, and sovereign, therefore, he's the one who created the plan. He's the one who knew us even before the foundation of the world. We were part of the plan even before the, the universe was created. Okay, so because of all that, he's working according to his plan. Nothing can prevent that. And so he says something here to remind uh, uh, the believers of, of this, because uh, much of what Paul writes will be um, pretty heavy, pretty serious indeed, because he's going to be write about writing about practical failures in the church at Philippi. Practical failures apply the heavenly teaching from Ephesians. Remember, we looked at that outline last time, right? They'd failed to apply the teaching and therefore needed to be... Uh, reformed, as it were, uh, changed about uh, in their minds and in their hearts so that they might bear fruit, uh, which was God's great goal for them, the fruit, right? And so he's, he writes here, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Oh, my. So, God's doing a great work. Um, most of the focus in the churches today isn't on that. The focus is on the work God requires of us. And yet that's not uh, the most important thing. Most important, in fact, your works will count and uh, amount to nothing apart from the work of the Lord, right? Yes, God wants us to have fruit. Absolutely. In fact, it's the main theme of the letter. How the fruit is to come forth, right? But knowing properly how it is the work of God that is uh, most important changes us sufficiently that our work may be in accordance with his glorious purpose and will, right? Otherwise, our work is totally astray. That's a fundamental teaching of this letter here. And God's doing that work until it says the day of Jesus Christ when he's going to finish uh, this work here in this phase of our lives. So uh, 
focus is on how it's God's work. He's going to complete his work in due time. We actually can't prevent that. Uh, you may turn aside and and then at the judgment seat of Christ find your your works burned, right? Because they were not founded on Christ at all and his work, right? But God will still uh, accomplish his great, great purpose um, in the church overall. Okay, so that's a firm promise to the Lord. It is uh, true. And those words from verse 6 should be in our hearts often. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work, and you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I mentioned Herb Roush, who was actually saved. He came to be a believer through a plaque on the wall. He was dying of um, of pneumonia and so forth, uh, they thought. <laughs> and the doctor said there was no hope. And of the plaque on the wall, again, that his mother had put there, and on it it said simply this, being confident, very thing that he which hath begun a good work and you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And so Herb is lying there dying, thinking, what, is there a work like that that he's begun in me? If so, I want to know more about this. Right? <laughs> uh, he was an unbeliever at that point in time, but was saved uh, uh, soon thereafter. Okay. Um, Paul goes on to mention how much the Philippian believers have a place in his own heart. And um, he writes of this in such a powerful way in in, uh, in verse 8. He says, God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Um, this is such an important um, statement. I think I'm going to save for next time what I had intended to say, say today. But let me give you an overview at least. Um, he mentions uh, his concern for them, but when he wants to finish his statement about that, he says, God is my record. What, is that, what does that mean? It means I stand before God transparently he is the only one who can truly judge, right? The people around him, even Timothy, who knew him intimately, they must have known about his great care and concern for the Philippians, but they didn't know everything. No one person can know everything about another person. In fact, you know very little, right? Um, but God knows everything. So what God, what God knows <laughs> is the whole truth, right? Uh, God knew that what Paul's heart was for the Philippians in ways no one else did. And what Paul says here is that God is my record about how much I care for you Philippians, right? But he doesn't end it at that. He adds this, how much I long for you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Okay, this touches on a major theme in Paul's letters. It's like what Paul is doing here is opening the curtain for something that is absolutely astounding and totally transforming when one comes to know it. And it's at the heart of the theme of this letter. And he uses the word 
use this word today uh, in this way at all, the word bowels. Now, we do use the word heart a lot. Actually, we don't. <laughs> we should use it more. But scripture has the word heart, and Paul's letters are full uh, of teaching about the heart and how God works there. That's where his grace operates, right? At least it's a major place it operates. And uh, and hearts are transformed, right? But when the word heart is used here in le these letters, he's not talking about something that's pumping away and moving the blood around. What's he talking about? He's using the word heart in a spiritual sense, right? As a spiritual component of our being, right? It wasn't spiritual, but it, it was transformed by the power of God's grace, right? And so when Paul writes about a heartfelt concern, he's not referring to the blood moving around in the ventricle and the oracle and so chambers of the heart and this sort of thing uh, as the source of physical life. He's talking about the heart as the center of spiritual life, right? The same is true with the word bowels, okay? Now, in the Greek uh, culture, they they also thought of the heart uh, and other organs, too, uh, as having sort of special uh, functions uh, in the body. And they weren't they weren't knowledgeable medically the way we are. You know, they didn't understand all the details. <clears throat> but when the Greeks used the word bowels, they actually were not talking about a specific uh, part of the alimentary canal, but rather the whole area, okay? And and it was used in a figurative sense, right? So because, because there were great passions, <laughs> the Greeks especially believed that there were uh, passions in that part of one's body, which were totally dominating for the person, right? Uh, and and as a result, they spoke of the bowels of a person uh, as being the source uh, of these great uh, feelings, these these passions, which may have been evil or may have been good. It all depends, right? And so what Paul is saying here, when he mentions the word bowels, he's actually mentioning uh, a certain aspect of Christ himself, right? And how he was sharing in own deep feelings for the brethren. And that's really what this verse means. God is my record how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Uh, we don't have time to go into it further today, but uh, it, I would be... Uh, greatly amiss if I didn't give you just two scriptures. Uh, and so I'll do that. Next time we'll look at more, because this is opening up a major theme for the Apostle Paul, which is how Christ now, as a living spirit, has come to indwell our uh, very nature so that we share, we actually, this isn't hypothetical or, or philosophical, or a matter of psychology or anything else, we actually share in the very spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that changes everything in our lives. The Christian life is 
supposed to be spiritual in that sense. That doesn't mean it's ethical. We're not talking about ethics. This is far above ethics, okay? Far beyond ethics. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, he writes, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, and he goes on from there. Okay, there's that word. Bowels and mercies together in one breath, right? And together with the fellowship of the Spirit, the comfort of love. And he says, all of these are part of consolation that comes in Christ Jesus. It's a gift granted to us believers, right? So there's this great movement of spiritual blessing from Christ in and through us, he says there. Then in Colossians 3, in verse 12, he says, practically speaking, therefore, put on as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering. Hmm. And uh, one more verse, I can't help it. Uh, <laughs> Romans 5 5. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So, through the Spirit, these miracles are occurring all of the time, okay? Uh, it's not as if God is way out there, we're down here. We have to become more and more like Jesus. That That is not what Paul writes. <laughs> In fact, that language really diminishes the whole thing and makes it into just a religious sort of thought. Okay, The fact is that Christ was raised from the dead as a life-giving spirit, and he's now been shared with us in our spirits. And so we can actually and really should, we're not, we're missing uh, the life he's offered to us, we can uh, share our spirits with another person and know that this is, in fact, the spirit of Christ is being shared. Now, isn't that totally transforming to know? Uh, I hope you see it the same way I am. Um, I don't think there's anything that I came to know in the last, I said this uh, recently maybe, but in the last uh, 40 years as important as what I've just shared with you. Uh, but next time we'll look at it in detail, and we'll see that it is not only a major theme of Paul's letters, but it's everywhere. And yet commentators just skip by it so easily and miss it. Some of them miss it altogether, right? Okay, so praise the Lord for his grace and how it actually operates through the spirit. Um, well, this should change our lives to realize this, uh, that we are so special. We are so special, not because of our accomplishments, our knowledge or wisdom or any of that, but because we're the ones that God has chosen. Remember, he said, as the elect of God. Okay. Um, we are the recipients 
uh, of his glorious working. And praise the Lord, it does change everything. Makes us so different, makes us stand out. Others don't respond necessarily well to that, but some do, the ones that God is calling. Praise the Lord, and glad we're together this morning. Anybody like to make a comment or ask a question? Okay. Well, if there are no comments, I thought maybe somebody would be jumping up and giving a testimony concerning how wonderful it is for the love of Christ with others, because the Spirit of Christ is at work within us. Good. Maybe next time somebody will want to share. Uh, any final comments before we go to the Lord? Thank you, Jim. It was great, great teaching, and, and I really appreciate the encouragement today, too. Well, really glad you could be with us, and I uh, hope it's a blessing on an ongoing way, uh, Lisa. And uh, you'll all be in our prayers, that's for sure. Um, okay, let's let's go to the Lord. Father God, thank you for blessing us with this uh, great portion of your word, just taking it verse by verse, line by line, phrase by phrase, sometimes even word by word. Uh, the power of it is communicated to our spirits. And the life is brought to us. We are enlivened in, uh, by uh, the truth. And uh, our knowledge is, is uh, qualified with discernment and wisdom, Father, uh, that our love might be uh, properly directed. Uh, Father, you've blessed us with this great love, and may we share it with others with wisdom and discernment. And I would ask this in Christ's name. Amen.